The Betfair Exchange. More ways to bet, more ways to win. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by attheraces.com, the ultimate online resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast. The show goes on, thankfully, and hopefully you are well. I'm your host, Emma Kennedy, alongside a man who is one of the most popular jockeys to have ever graced the weighing rooms in Ireland and indeed in the UK now retired nine times Irish champion jockey the great and powerful Pat Smullen welcome back to the show Pat thanks Emma good good to be on a strange time to say the least so I'll ask you the same question that I've asked everybody else how are you and uh, how are you keeping with the lockdown yeah no I'm doing well and uh, no no different than everybody else pretty much isolated away at home and uh, trying to abide by the rules and uh Adhere to to all the 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 instructions that are being given by the the government, and hopefully we can get through this quicker, sooner rather than later. But it's a difficult time for everybody, you know. So um, and we're not different. Are the kids managing okay? Yeah, look, we're fortunate enough that we live on a farm, so at least we have a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of room to to uh, to get out and occupy ourselves, and they have their ponies, and you know, so there's a try to keep some bit of a mixture between their homework and and uh, and a bit of fun as well. But uh, you know, it, it's beginning to uh, get a little bit boring now for them, uh, to be honest. But uh, but as I said, thankfully we're we're out in the countryside, so it's uh, it helps to to amuse them, and uh, you know, I just said hey, to have a family in in um you know in in an isolated area in 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 urban urban Dublin or wherever it may be you know so it's mm. uh, there's things that we have to be thankful for yeah and for those of you who are in that situation thoughts are with you I hope you're well and it's amazing because I remember being younger like hating school really just wanted to be watching TV and uh, playing football with the lads but that whole thing gets boring very very quickly when you're actually given the instruction you're you're forced into it but it's like it's like everything in life. I think routine is a very important thing, and uh, when when that's taken away from you, you realise quickly that uh, you know it puts you out of kilter. And uh, so yeah, I think routine in whether it's uh, in human life or in in our business in equine, I think is very very important. And uh, I can I can see the importance of that now. And the routine would be would be currently looking at the Irish Grand National but we'd be very much into the start of the flat season we'd be looking ahead to the classics we still can we, we can still dream about what we're going to see but it's going to be different this year most of it I imagine for the vast majority of this season will be behind closed doors but we haven't had Irish racing and UK racing now for quite some time. We are getting our racing fixed from Hong Kong and from the US and from Australia. Things are very different there. And so by the fact that trainers train on the race course and, and so social distancing is easier. But what is your take on the impact of this for Irish racing and for UK racing? Because it's there are certain statements Mike Cattermole was highlighting one yesterday that he was saying was absolutely ridiculous um, from the British Trainers Association people do seem to be getting a bit touchy but what's your current take on how things are being handled by Horse Racing Ireland the BHA and, and the general bodies involved in racing right now to be honest I think they're doing everything that has been asked of them and uh, and I, I think they've done been uh, 
spot on uh, so far in, in all the decisions that they've made. Uh, it's quite difficult for everybody, um, but it, that that goes that that goes for every industry and every profession. You know, it's a tough time for everybody. There's nobody that's immune to this, and there's nobody that has been affected by it. Um, so, like in theory, they're doing what has to be done, and uh, you know what people are tending to forget is that it's a very very physical sport and uh, what what we're you know horse racing and uh, you know there's very few sports that you're followed by one and maybe two ambulances at, at any given race me you know on uh, any race so uh, so that's a huge resource you know taking up resources that are needed in in other areas just right now so you know i think you can think it discuss and and you know i, I no one wants racing back sooner than than i but um but you know, at the end of the day, when when those resources are required elsewhere in a in the general public and uh, in in the, in amongst what what's going on at the moment, uh, we cannot in you know even consider going back racing when when the numbers and the fatalities drop. Hopefully, and that will be very very soon. And you know, the the statistics show that they have got got this virus under control. Only then they can, can look at. Uh, you know, resuming and uh, and it will be probably behind closed doors. But uh, and as I said, hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. But until then, uh, I don't think that the HRI or, or the BHA can even consider going back racing. I think that might be the most eloquent way I've heard this described, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because not only are you a brilliant horseman and you're involved in the bloodstock industry with your wife as well and your wife obviously was a brilliant trainer um, but also you've had to endure your own thing and both of us have seen the HSE up close and the last thing that you want to be doing is putting additional pressure on them so we just it's tough Pat but we do have to bide our time it's, t- it's tough and it's tough for everybody and you know it affects everybody in the industry while while there's no racing there's no obviously there's no performance on the track which would uh, you know update pedigrees with people that have got horses going to the breeze up sales and going to uh, various different sales as the year go- goes on and uh, so there's nobody that hasn't been affected by it and every every aspect of the business is taking a hit but so is everybody uh, you know every industry and every person in the world has been affected by this and you know you see how many people that have been laid off work you know so mm-hmm. it, it, it's just an unfortunate very situation but as I said everybody's in it together and uh but uh, as I said, you know, racing is a very, very important industry for the Irish economy and for a lot of people that, you know, that depend on livelihoods from it. But as I said, it's, uh, it, it is not uh, that important that we have to get back, you know, uh, ASAP. I mean, the most important thing is that people that are, are struck down with this, this virus and people that are ill at the moment and are needing hospital attention, that they are get that and they're not restricted in any shape or form and uh, that is the most important thing in life and at the end of the day this will be t- got under control it will it, t- it takes time but so does a lot of things take t- 
time and when they have it under control then we can resume and at the end of the day what would we have lost please God maybe only two three three months of racing and, and uh, hopefully it'll be back within that time period and in the overall scheme of things I don't think it's a big sacrifice from everybody to to get back to, to, to help the, uh, the frontline workers and uh, um, the NHS and, the, and everybody that needs the help to get uh, to get get this under control and get and get all of us back to, to normal uh, uh, normality. Well said, because we can be trapped in this bubble. And look, we love this sport, and you live and breathe it. And as a fan and a broadcaster, I absolutely love it, and I feel very privileged to be able to talk to people like you and uh, and the guests that we have on the Final Furlong podcast and the listenership that we have. It's a fantastic sport. I love it, but we're all in this together. This is a society thing. Everybody is in this together, and so we all have to play our part. And if that means waiting, then wait we shall. One thing that you could say, though, is that racing is in a good position when, please God, we're at the point where this is being turned and we can start to recover. We are in a good position to be one of the first sports to come back because football is a contact sport. Um, but racing, particularly in Ireland, already showcased how well it can be done behind closed doors. Um, that was working. It did have to stop. It was it was literally only a matter of time before it did. But the example is there. It, it can succeed behind closed doors. No question. I mean, that has been proven. And when, as I said, it goes back to when the... the the medical people don't require the, the services of the ambulances and the medical people, uh, the, you know, i.e. doctors and nurses and whoever that have to be there on, on race day, Order of Malta, they're obviously helping out at the moment as well. But when they can resume and the pressure is off and and they can resume their normal uh, work back on the race course, but it's proven that we can can operate behind closed doors and, 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 that, and then we will get back and get the, the show on the road and and there's no reason as to why they can't get it uh, you know we can resume back behind closed doors I get obviously that's frustrating for a lot of people that would like to attend racing but you know the sacrifice has to be we have to make it and uh, and if you know if it takes till the end of the year before they can resume with with, uh, with attendances uh, so be it but uh, but uh, you know it as I said, as soon as uh, as it is possible to resume behind closed doors, I'm sure that everything is in place to continue uh, or to to resume and uh, and and we'll get the, get the whole industry back up and going again. What would you like to see done in terms of getting the industry back? Because if you look at the race calendar now, the Guineas is scheduled for second and third of May. That's obviously not going to happen. Um, Royal Ascot have come out and said that they intend to go ahead but behind closed doors at that set time that they have in the calendar the derby and guineas as i said is is to be delayed we're going to have to rework things essentially does everybody have to come together in the in ireland the uk and possibly in france as well and all sit around the same table and come to an agreement or is it a situation where we're just going to have to lose some races well, look, I think it's very. It would be great if, obviously, the three three uh, jurisdictions come together and sit down and come to an agreement. But you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, but uh, to me, maybe naively, I think it's very, very simple. Speaking purely from an Irish racing perspective, you know. 
we, the way the climate has gone in recent years, and we have, you know, you have noticed over Christmas that that uh, a meeting in Leperstown, you've had withdrawals with horses from from race meetings because the ground was too quick. Uh, there's been a huge drainage done on on race tracks over the last number of years, and extensive in in some areas. And uh, as a result, then there is no reason why when we can't get the race meet the ra- the season up and going again that we can't continue on to the uh, flat season until the 31st of December and as, as a result of doing that then they can reschedule the, uh, all the all the race me- you know the, the major meetings and uh, so what if it's uh, six weeks two months or, or maybe two and a half months uh, later than, than it has not always have been but uh, to, to lose a guineas in a derby and, and the the the, the bigger classics and and group ones would be would be crazy. So I I, I can't for the life of me understand why you can't. You know, okay, I know the the, the ground may be obviously softer, but uh, you know they they have raced in France up until the end of the the, the year on turf and and do all the time. So um, you know I I just honestly can't see any reason as to why we can't continue to meet or the, the the season and run it out till the end of the year. There's a there's a group race in France in November, I want to say, for juveniles, and I think you've ridden in it before. Yeah, the criterium is yeah. one. Now, granted, it's on very very soft ground, and I and I appreciate that you've got you know some very very good horses, obviously from Ballydale and and uh, other the big stables, and uh, that would would not you wouldn't run them on on extremely heavy ground. But we have got Dundalk, and obviously we've seen that the. For the the Vertimer is that the the name of the the company that yes. of John dances that sponsored the 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 group on and and they switched it from to uh, to Newcastle so uh, and Aiden has not been adverse to running very good horses on the poly track and other trainers so you know some of the some of the very better races as the year goes on and maybe ground might be a bit too soft and the turf could be running Dundalk and uh, there's obviously there's ways and means of of working it to, to uh, and that should be done so that to ensure that we don't lose any of those races. Uh, and 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 as a result, I can see that the you know to, to there's going to be a knock-on effect to the sales season, and uh, I'm sure consigners will be happier too. To you know that that racing does go ahead, and some of those pedigrees get updates before the the the. The sales, uh, you know, happen whether that is later in the year as well. You and I can't see it, but I guarantee you that John Dance is punching the air with delight, going, "Pat Smullen gave me a name check. Happy days! Come on!" Uh, the man responds, "No, no, no. but he, like he's a he's a huge in." Uh, Player and the Big game time. and uh, an investor and uh, and and took on the sponsorship of that race and uh, you know you know and he was uh, you know he was in agreement in, in agreement to move uh, you know a, a historic race from from Doncaster on the grass to the poly track and I think that could that was a game changer I think for the for, for the poly track and, uh, and and it just proves that all the good horses still pitched up and, and ran there and uh, and and you know. I think that that's for the for racing going forward in the future that that uh, the, you know the the utilization of Dundalk and and the, the talks of another all weather track going in uh, it, it will be uh, you know it will be acceptable to everybody. It probably actually couldn't have been timed better that that race happened at Newcastle when it did for and and that John Dance was prepared to support it because 
the the Virgin Futurity that was going to be run at Doncaster was a very very different race to the Virgin Futurity that we got at Newcastle far more horses turned up far more trainers were prepared to run they weren't going to to like William Haggis and John Gosden weren't necessarily prepared to risk their horses on the soft ground it was Andrew Balding who was going to take on the Coolmore team with Kamenko and as it happened Kamenko was the one who ended up winning the race anyway but they all suddenly came out Rafe Beckett had uh, the favourite in the end with, with Ken Ross so there's clearly a, a mindset change because we've talked about it in the past and indeed Declan Ricks has written about it for attheraces.com that if you go back through the record books Enable and a number of other highly talented John Gosden horses started their career in the all-weather. Sir Michael Stout's done that and you've mentioned the fact that Aidan O'Brien has not been afraid to run good horses at Dundalk but also send them over to the UK as well. So the Virgin Fortuity being run at Newcastle may very well have been the right time because it sets a, a precedent and it gives a platform that that surface can indeed be used and that we could use Lingfield. Uh, Lingfield we have for the, well, what would have been the, the Easter Classics for the, the massive races on uh, on what used to be. Unfortunately, we're not probably going to get it this season, but All-Weather Championships Day. Um, it, it's a surface that, that can be used and will be embraced now by more trainers and owners. Very much so, yeah. And yeah, I think as well what's, what shouldn't be lost on as well is that there's, you know, the, the Leperstone should be utilised a lot more as well uh, in the present circumstances because it, it is probably the best drained track in the world that I know of. Uh, you know, it, it can have quite heavy rain and it, it drains away extremely quickly. And, and as I said, as a result of, you could see, we have seen throughout the winter, um, months where you've had uh, withdrawals of very good horses from races on Leperstone when, uh, you know, when the when the ground has been too quick for them. So you could still have very very reasonable ground come the uh, middle of December uh, to to run some of those better races there and concentrate on on trying to have some of the better races in in Leperstone. And then you know there's another track there as as well, which is uh, another winter track that does extremely well and can can t- can can be utilised as well for the. Fl- and I'm sure that being agreeance is Torless is a track that has always throughout the winter months has reasonably good ground and and then you know other tracks that the same so and just just saying that between some of those tracks that are extremely well drained and uh, turf tracks and and uh, and Dundalk we we what the point I'm getting is that we have the capabilities and the facilities there to continue the season on till the 31st of December and get all these races run and and as a result not the disturbed the calendar too much uh, albeit that it's run two, lens, two months later or three months later than, than what it was uh, historically scheduled for Yeah, I mean, look we're in an unprecedented situation the Premier League is on hold and UEFA have effectively announced that it is going to continue the FA have announced that they, they plan to finish out every single domestic league game this season which obviously will have some sort of a knock-on effect on next season but the priority is there's there's an ethical situation here you have to you can't start a season and then just go with eight games to go ah we'll 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 scrap that they want to finish it out and if they can do that and work out some way of doing it then we can work out some way of moving races um i I guess that the difficult thing for 
certain trainers right now is that a lot of owners have taken their horses away. Um, Sarah Lynham was saying that the other day on, on the podcast that a number of owners have, have taken horses from the art. And of course, that means those trainers are no longer getting training fees. And the biggest of all of those is Michael Lillery. Uh Eddie gave a statement recently where he said that all of the horses have been taken back to Michael's stud. They're all on their holidays and he doesn't expect them to come back anytime soon. But... The most interesting quote. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but my, my, yeah, but they were all going to go anyway. I mean, this is you know, I know there has been some uh, horses uh, removed from from in training, but I do know for a fact that the majority of flat horses are still in training. Hmm. You know, I I know some other some people's financial position is has changed, and and of course that uh, you know the, the you know the, their their hobby and or uh, uh, maybe their their horses and has to has to give way first, and we all understand that but in a, on the whole the majority of flat horses are still in training uh, the jumpers are gone out for the summer it's just okay it's sooner rather than 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 uh, than had planned, but they were always going to go out on their, their summer holidays anyway. So you know, I don't think we get too dramatic as to what is uh, actually happening. But it is frustrating, and I understand totally that. I think the biggest problem is is that there's no date for resumption, and obviously that's nobody's fault. But as a result, then no one can sort of work towards that day. Mm. And, and that is what's very, very difficult for owners to keep horses in training and trainers to keep them trained because they're trying to keep uh, um, horses on the go and, uh, and uh, you know, have them at some sort of fitness without being peaked. To, to, to be ready to go when resumption when the, when the season resumes so uh, but I, I just think that, to be fair a lot of tra- owners have been extreme from what I've heard and listened to and uh, from from various different people have been hugely understanding and and you know t- the stables are, tr- are pretty much functioning along uh, reasonably as normal as they possibly can under circumstances but uh, how long that can be sustained for though I do appreciate is questionable because, as I said, uh, we'd hope to try and see some sort of light at the end of the tunnel to give everybody a bit of encouragement and uh, and some sort of hope as to when uh, we can resume. You know, that's good to hear. By the way, in that interview that Eddie O'Leary gave, there was uh, Eddie's never afraid of a big opinion. He's never afraid to tell it like it is, or at least how he sees it. And he did mention Dundalk and said, well, why couldn't we run the Irish Derby at Dundalk? Why couldn't we have the Irish St. Ledger at Dundalk? Uh, Now, I don't know whether or not he was being playful as he was saying that, because Coolmore were obviously very intent on protecting the Curragh and insisting on racing continuing there, and I understand the reasons for that. But he made a reasonable point. Like, There's nothing wrong with Dundalk. It hosts group races already. Um, I'm sure that we can do something with that track and utilize it, and the surface will have been improved as well. But but it's very very simple though, Emmett. And look, I I know I, I hope I'm not trying to train simple, you know, make it as simple as possible. But not at all. Uh, but but you know, I'm sure 99 percent of people would prefer to see it run and run and Dundalk than not run at all. Exactly. 
so like you know it's a facility that's there that everyone you know initially people were a little i do remember when when we first started that you know a few horses were coming back a bit sore off the track and but that was a bedding in period and then obviously there in recent times there's been a uh, you know complaints that it was getting a bit worn and old and needed replacing and and they're doing that at the moment so like it, it, but, but uh, on the whole everybody is is pretty happy to run 95% of horses on on the poly track uh, horses that need very very soft ground probably you wouldn't go there but uh, but but the way we can map it out is that there will be opportunities for those horses that need soft ground and let them be run the grass and then let some of the other better race be run than dock where everyone ne- nearly everybody's happy to run and and as i said if it came down to the decision that you either run a, a, a race or races whatever they may be uh, or not run them at all uh, and it has to be in dundalk i i, I can assure you that 99 percent of people will pitch up and take part in dundalk well i think newcastle proved that as you alluded to yeah. earlier on and you speak total common sense there and uh yeah if if it comes to it that that's what we're going to have to do then that's what we will do and as you said people are going to want that um it, it will be different but it's it's unprecedented times it's an unprecedented circumstance and we all have to pull together and and work together and we are very lucky that racing can can work in this way that we can adhere to social distancing rules once we're allowed back uh, and run the sport that way and that we have the facility of these brilliant all-weather tracks in the UK and we have Dundalk with the new surface being laid just you mentioned the the surface and, and the complaints. Damien English was very vocal about that. Sarah Lynham was very vocal about it as well, uh, along with a, a number of others. How important is relaying that, that surface at Dundalk and when racing does resume, that that, that new surface is there? Oh, no, it's vitally important. And, uh, you, you know, it, it was history will tell you that you know there's a lifespan of 10 to 12 years with polytrack and it needs replacing it happened in Dundalk in Linkfield it happened in Kempton it happened in in uh, Wolverhampton so you know Dundalk's no different uh, you know the authorities and the, the management uh, you know are excellent up there and have done a huge job but they were a little bit behind the behind the you know on the back foot as regards uh, facing up to the fact that the, the, the surface was worn out and needed and that's no criticism I understand it's a huge financial investment but uh, but at the end of the day now now their investment will come back to 12 fall because uh, it's never as much as needed uh, as it is now uh, so like uh, reading uh, Jim Martin's uh, a call for him back a while ago he was hoping that they will have uh, the poly tr- the, the new track laid the surface uh, and I hope the plans uh, haven't been put on hold too much with uh, with what's going on at the moment but uh, they were looking at June or at the end of June which would be absolutely amazing and then you have a brand new track to to get back uh, uh, to in full swing with but it needed to be addressed and thankfully it, it maybe a year too late uh, a year longer than what was what was ideal but it's been done at the moment and uh, and fair play to them and they've put the investment in and they will get rewarded uh, hand over fist now. Yeah, they may very well end up getting rewarded far greater than they could have possibly imagined with the way this season... Oh, no no question they will now and uh, thankfully they took that decision to go ahead and do the the, the surface because that will encourage everybody to run uh, that there are better horses there now as opposed to what it was uh, 
maybe uh, six months ago and or, or you know throughout the winter so uh, so it, it'll be money very much well spent for them now and uh, and and I'm delighted for them because it's a it's a and I've always said it's a huge facility and a, and a, a game changer for Irish flat racing yeah I really like Dundalk I, I have to say I love it and it's it's a nice venue to it it can be fr- it can be Baltic at times but it's a venue I really like attending and um, particularly enjoyed broadcasting from there um, the addition of a second all-weather track, you seem to be in favour of that. I, I think so. You know, it's just whether the population of horses throughout the winter months uh, are, are in Ireland to sustain running two tracks uh, remains to be seen. Um, you know, I do, I do see that, we, you know, on occasion, well, more than on occasion, quite regularly, the, you know, the, there's been a lot of dividing of races and uh, and balloting out, but obviously in the lower grade uh, uh, races. So there there is an argument that there is need for another one, uh, but it's just you know, and I would like to probably would like to see one. Um, come on stream but it's just it is debatable as to whether there, there is uh, the population of horses throughout the winter months to keep two racetracks going and that is just before I ask you the next question that's the other thing as well is that it's one thing to be talking about the importance of maintaining the classics because they're going to be very important for the bloodstock industry and very important for the breed as well that you have these historic races and that they're run but there is also the lower end of racing the lower end of of the scale that you are also going to have to cater to as well because there's plenty of horses in the uk and ireland that that need to be looked after in that regard too well, but look, it's the old in any in any business. Emma, they're the bread and butter. They're they're the stuff that keep the the, the show on the road. Uh, you know, midweek um, through throughout the, the throughout the year, and and then obviously a bit more of it throughout the winter months. So, uh, and like there are horses that have been kept in training twelve. You know, throughout as I said, throughout the winter months, and have have really uh, you know changed. Uh, some trainers businesses and brand you know it, it made them grow and and uh, made them viable to continue and uh, so those horses are hugely important and as you said the, the statistics will tell you that the greater number of horses are at the very lower end of the of the scale and the, the rating band so they they most certainly need to be catered for and uh, and you know more so you know we we speak now as you said we speak now about you know oh, we don't want to lose the guineas and the and the classics and the the, the the, the pattern races and of course that's very vitally important but also the there's lower grade horses are you know obviously for owners that get enjoyment out of, out of seeing them run and win but uh, but also livelihoods of uh, of trainers that depend on those horses to keep their business going so uh, the the third the the 50 rated horses is as important as the the 100 plus horse in my eyes and uh, so it's very important that, that that everyone's catered for when as soon as we get back up and racing but I have no doubt that HRI will do that. Yeah, and I imagine BHA, the BHA will do the same thing as well. As a multiple Group 1 winning jockey and as somebody who was writing work for two of the greatest in the game, Dermot Weld and uh, your brother-in-law, Aidan O'Brien, down at Belly Doyle as well, how difficult is it to keep a horse... If I take a horse like Sir Dragonet, for example, who Aidan ran on the opening day of the season, but also... The, the juveniles so I'll, I'll go on a wide spectrum here so Dragon is now an older horse beaten on his season reappearance but I don't think Aiden would have been overly concerned about that um, the juveniles that were 
making their debuts and obviously there's a plan in place there for the various different trainers as to where they go but the classic horses like Charlie Appleby getting Pinatubu ready right now for the 2000 guineas knowing that it's delayed how difficult is that for a trainer when you're trying to wind the racehorse up to get them ready for a big target but you don't know when that big target is now going to be but this is the most difficult situation for for trainers is that uh, you know with, with no date or no no deadline uh, you know that that's the biggest problem for them all and as you speak about the likes of Charlie Appleby now with Pinatubo you know he was obviously trying to bring him to the boil to be ready to run in in what less than three weeks time or, mm. or yeah you know less uh, in Newmarket so um, look I'm sure he's uh, to answer your question I don't really know because I've never really obviously I've never trained horses but lived with it and speaking with trainers on a a daily basis uh, you know it it is quite frustrating and uh, difficult it's to uh, keep horses simmering along at the the, you know all the time it's it's virtually impossible so they've had to let those horses back down a little bit and uh, and wait now until and, and obviously keep them at a, a regular fitness that you know hopefully that they will have two to three weeks uh, you know notice as to when racing will resume and uh, and then they can try and build that fitness back up uh, to to peak within that time so i'm sure that's what most uh, most trainers are doing is trying to keep those horses simmering along there that uh, two or three bits of work will leave them race race ready at, and what else can they do really at this point and uh, two-year-olds are are, um, are 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 you know obviously taking along try, trying to give them the, and their their education will continue as normal and uh, and that's what you do at this time of the year but it's the and this is what I think very important when they do resume that we don't lose those early two-year-old races those because there is a big number of uh, sharp early early bred two-year-olds um, you know that, that are real five furlong horses and uh, you know that they have to be catered for as soon as the season resumes as well so um, th- there's a lot of thinking that needs to be done by the the, the planning committee in, in HRI and that, that everybody gets uh, catered for and that uh, that all those uh, uh, horses, two, two-year-olds that will be out running now, that they get their opportunity uh, um, you know, when when that when, when we do resume as well, that they don't just jump into the, the sort of six, seven, four long mile type uh, horses and, and forget about the, the horses that were the sharp early two-year-olds. It's amazing when you do a deep dive into it, Pat, that you start to realize just how complex a situation this is. That it, it isn't just a situation that you move races and kickstart the season again. That there is so many complex moving parts to this that the BHA and HRI all have to nail and the Jockey Club for that matter as well. So when you do that deep dive into it and do that analysis of just how much is going on behind the scenes and how much they're going to have to save, it does start to to really hit home how communication is going to be key between HRI and the BHA and indeed the Jockey Club. 
Yeah, and you know that's why I was, ho- you know, I hope I didn't try trying to simplify it too much at the beginning because Not at all. it is it is it is quite complex. But you know, you have to remember as well as that, you know, that, as I said, there's there's so many different aspects to the business and to the to the industry rather than just horses being owned by people and trained by. But you know, like you have you have the the, the breeze up consigners now that are sitting on uh, horses that were bought to be sharp early two year olds that would be out now and running and hopefully. You know, could be Royal Ascot horses. So, you know, they they're they're of a huge financial investment there that they has to be trying to recouped at some stage. So, you know, I, I st- that's why I feel that, that the whole program needs to be looked at, and that's why by running till the end of the se- of the year, the the, the the end of year, that it gives them the opportunity to cater for all horses across the board and give everybody ample opportunity to prove themselves and and train to to uh, give them opportunities to, to try and recoup their investment. And uh, so that, that's really what I'm getting at, that, you know, that albeit that the two year, the sharp early two-year-olds would be out now, and uh, but they, that they get their opportunity to run in those, uh, as I said, those five, five furlong sprints early, and, you know, when we do resume, that they're not just forgotten about and give uh, give people an opportunity to, to get those horses out and, 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 and you know, sh- uh, show their ability and, and hopefully make them saleable to go on I, I love jumps racing and there's something about Cheltenham and the atmosphere there that I, I wasn't at Cheltenham this year I was actually bizarrely in the wonders of modern technology covering it from home for radio and in some ways I actually had journalist friends of mine getting on to me asking me for quotes because you 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 almost have access to more information from home than you have from from being there can you explain to me what happened in that race was a question that was asked by one for example um but Cheltenham is is a fantastic occasion the entire national hunt season i love but by the time you come to aintree and obviously we didn't have it this season but by the time you come to that while I'm looking forward to Punchestown, I'm, I'm almost already in, in flat mode. I'm almost already ready for the flat season and looking forward to that. And by the time we come to the end of the flat season, then I'm ready for the jump season again. Um, and I think that we're very lucky on, on this side of the world that, that we have that, that we have both codes. In Australia, yes, there's jump racing, but it's fairly poor to say the least. And it is really all about the, the flat. Um, their sales have gone ahead. And Coolmore were very heavily involved in supporting them. The Easter yearling sale grossed just over $68 million. And um, Coolmore were involved as the leading buyer there. So things, though, Pat, in Australia are very different to here because... In Australia, because of the the structure of the racecourses and and how the sales can be done, um, you can see the horses beforehand. Nobody's going to buy a car without taking it for a test drive. Nobody's going to buy a car without actually seeing it. First of all, the same goes for racehorses. So how is that industry um, and the sales being affected? Because when you think of people like yourself and Francis who are breeding racehorses, when you think of um, Coolmore even, uh, although they should be okay during this time, um, but breeders, pinhookers, how is this affecting them right now? And how does this then change throughout the season to to help breeders and pinhookers and, and bloodstock sales uh, later on throughout the year? 
Well, look, right now, there's no one really being affected other than the breeze up consigners. Uh, you know, like there's a, the, the the breeding sales will be, as as everyone knows, will be later in the year. And, you know, well, by, you know, pin hooking falls, by falls won't be bought till December and, uh, and yearling sold in September. So, you know, there's a little bit of time there that we don't have to panic just yet. And people that are in that position, because they wouldn't have a whole lot of business going on right now at the moment. The only way they would be affected affected is that obviously without racing that you don't have siblings and and relations running and hopefully updating pedigrees so that so that that's that's where they're being affected at the moment but right now uh, the consigners uh, the, the breeze up consigners are the ones that are most be, are being hit most and, and the most worrying time is for them because they've only got a short window uh, you know, period to, to get horses prepared, ready for for a day and sold. And uh, so, I, I really feel for them with those those guys that have got big investments and and need to get uh, horses out and sold. So, you know, obviously the the, the breeze ups have been put back, and and hopefully they will get the opportunity to get them out and sold. Um, you know, within the next month or six weeks and hopefully, hopefully that will happen or two months time you know so you know Tattersalls and Goffs are working there with with everybody with, with the present situation and moving and switching and rescheduling those sales so I hope that that works out for them but uh, you know, as, as regards the you know there's nothing like going to the sales to buy a horse and getting a feel for it yourself and, and see that that will never never change but we are in an, an era where uh, you know technology is a huge advantage and it's used uh, in every aspect of the business now and uh, there's no reason why you know if it comes to that 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 we can do what they did in in Australia and and sell horses online because you will have a lot of agents that will have done groundwork um, and seen a lot of horses uh, prior to the sale in studs and 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 know know the families and have known the, seen the individual whether it was back at a, time, a bit of you know some time ago as as falls or whatever they'll have some knowledge of them and and we can work through it and get horses sold and get through if it has to be for one year but uh, but the fact of going to the sales and physically seeing a horse and getting a feel for what you're actually buying um will never change and hopefully we can resume back to that and we will uh for for, for hopefully at the end of this year and um and going forward but if it comes down to the for one year that it has to be done that uh, horses need to be sold online uh, I think everyone will again it goes back to to uh, to, this, to the same situation with the racing uh, whether racing been run in Dundalk or not run at all I'm sure a lot of consigners would like to get the opportunity to try and sell their horses uh, that not get the opportunity at all and if that uh, all, uh, you know i.e. being online and for those people who are involved in, in breeze-ups, um, do you feel as though there will be some of them who are quite apprehensive about that? Uh, do you think that buyers will be happy to, to go with that route? To, because you, as you talk about modern technology, you know, we are in the digital age. And that's the one good thing about being on lockdown is don't look at your screen time report, Pat. Don't do that to yourself on, on your iPhone or your iPad. But aside from that, it's it's brilliant that we're able to communicate in the way that we can and that we have access to the information and the TV shows and the sport that we have, or at least looking back on sport. But do you feel as though those breeze up sales people will be happy with that situation? 
I think so. As I say, I've just seen uh, there in the last couple of days that Willie Brown's Mocklers Hill, uh, you know, on his website has all his his horses for each sale uh, up online, and you can see them, you know, being shown in hand and then uh, breezing. And uh, and Katie Walsh of Green Hill Stables has done the very same. So you know, people are moving with the times, and and uh, and, and have to be you know ch- change tack a little bit and. Uh, so as I said, uh, it's not ideal. Far from it. But um, I, f- f- what's the alternative to have uh, whatever your number of of, of uh, horses? Let, let's take uh, Mocklers Hill for for instance. If they've got fifty or sixty breezers, and you know what, what, what do you what you'd prefer? I'm sure Willie Brown would prefer to have the opportunity to try and get them sold. It's in some uh, format, whether it be on uh, you know online rather than than not have a sale at all. And uh, so you know. It's far from ideal, and you know it's easier said than done to come up with with, with a, 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 an alternative that everybody's happy with. But uh, as I said, a lot of those consigners would be quite happy to get the opportunity to get their horses sold, uh, you know, in some shape or form. I'm glad that you mentioned Katie Walsh, and this is now off the top of my head because I was reading this one having a coffee this morning. Uh, I I was going to say triple espresso, but I'll be honest about it. It was five espressos and, and a latte because I'm just that bonkers. Uh, was it East and Casper Netcher that she sold through her website? Both, both, yeah. No, but she didn't sell them through. No, in fairness, she, she didn't sell them through her website. They were sold. Uh, they went and breezed and were sold at public auction. Uh, I think maybe both. Well, uh, East was definitely sold in... in, in um, in Gorn Park at at the the sale down there and uh, and uh, Casper Nectar I think was sold in at the Cravens sale. Well, I could be wrong, but they were but they were sold at public auction anyway. Uh, so as I said, uh, but it gives people a, a great insight of of the individual and it gives them some some opportunity to get to see the horse and get a feel for it and uh, and then you know hopefully it'll encourage buyers to to go in and purchase. And she was talking about how she was getting jobs done now that she she hadn't got round to before. In some ways, does this suggest that where there's crisis, there's an opportunity? And this is a horrific crisis, but for the industry itself, that it can possibly revolutionize and that maybe maybe online for sales is going to become the future. And if that's the case, then more international buyers could come into the scene as well. Yes, exactly, and you know, and it's like everything else. You know, we could see that the the, the sale in Australia, the English sale, was very, very successful, and that the the, the clearance rate was high, and the, you know, the the figures were good. So uh, there's no reason why it won't work up here. If it worked there, there's no reason why it won't work up here. Uh, so like, it's like everything else. You 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 give it a go and see how we get on. But um, but uh, you know, as I said, it, it has been proven in Australia that it can work, and uh, so. So it's like everything else. It's it's the change of mindset is is a is a big big factor uh, w- with something like this. But uh, but that that all being said, that there's nothing like getting to see the horse the, uh, yourself in in the flesh and get a feel for it, and uh, that'll that'll never be lost. But uh, as I said in the present 
time and uh, uh, you know that this is an opportunity to uh, to to use modern technology to to uh, to, to try and just um, you know get get the take the opportunity to get these horses sold and uh, and as I said ninety percent of uh, I'm sure even more of the consigners will be quite happy to do that if that's what it comes down to. Those Walshes are fairly savvy, aren't they? Oh yeah, there'll be no fear of them. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> They tend to be ahead of the curve. <laughs> they tend to be ahead of the curve, to be fair. Uh, yeah. Great great stuff from, from Katie Walsh and fair play to her and the best of luck to her as well. Um, first season stallions, I was very keen to talk to you about. Declan Ricks was, again, how many times? Rixie needs to pay me for every mention that he gets on the show. Uh, Rixie was writing about this for attheraces.com. Um, Coolmore have a number of very interesting first season stallions with Caravaggio uh, and Churchill, but there's a number of others as well, like Decorated Knight, um, who was a very good horse, to be fair to him. We'll, we'll get to see their progeny this season. Who are you looking forward to seeing being unleashed this season and, and the progeny of um, which stallions are you particularly interested in seeing? Well, everything that you said there, um, you know, those, those stallions are all exciting and looking forward to them. But uh, the, on the first season, sires whose name keeps coming up of people that have, and, and we, we, we bought a few foals this year and tried hard to try and buy one was Shala. The, the, they were lovely horses and uh, you know the reports are very good on them and uh, trainers who seem to be very very happy with them and uh, he was a very very good two year old and uh, you know so it, they were beautiful good looking horses and uh, as I said uh, going on reports he's the one that I'd be most interested in, in seeing uh, how his progeny performed this year Do you have one? No, no. Anything that we liked, we were unfortunately outbidded on. So they were they were extremely good looking uh, individuals, and uh, so they 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 were very popular at the sales. But uh, um, but even more important, uh, the trainers seemed to be very very keen on them, and uh, and very likable uh, type of horses, and they just obviously seemed to have ability. So uh, if the word on the on the street is good, uh, he should have a good start when when we get going. What is it about that, Pat, that makes the makes or breaks a stallion? Because I remember when High Chaparral's Falls went into the ring the first time around, they were quite cold. There, there wasn't much talk about him. And obviously he, he passed away afterwards, but he turned out to be a very, very good stallion indeed and, and could have been, had he not... Well- on, on. He was he was he was the sire of the best horse I ever rode in Free Eagle anyway. So there you go. Uh, you know he he was a very very good style. But the 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 middle distance horses just tend to be a little, I don't know for whatever reason the 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 just seem to be. Uh, uh, and an uphill battle from world goal to try and prove themselves and get themselves uh, established and uh, because uh, I think the mindset's changing a little bit now but you know there for the last sort of eight ten years was a huge emphasis on speed and and you know the the, the more precocious type horses were were more sought after and uh, at the sales so um it probably was an uphill struggle for for a lot of stallions to get going, and you know there's a, a horse of my own that I rode was Harzan who was getting fabulous, good looking horses, and uh, but you know it's just been a struggle for him as well to get up and get going. So he's a, he's a first season sire as well. Obviously that'll be very interesting to see and uh, how he gets on. And uh, you know as I said, there's uh, some very very nice horses by him, but uh, but as I said, it's just. Uh, 
they they don't they don't those middle class middle distance horses don't get uh, supported uh, very well initially with good mares and uh, and as a result then it's uh, it's an uphill battle for them but um, but you know as you can see with the likes of Camelot it was something similar and then you know he hit and uh, and became the you know the uh, very a huge success that he is now and uh, so it just it just takes them a little bit of time whereas the the more precocious uh, sprinter miler type type horses seem to get more of a uh, an opportunity as as uh, as a stallion Harrison was a horse on my list that I wanted to ask you about because um, obviously he beat the mighty US US Army Ranger who's still knocking around in Australia, the poor fella. Had he got up, had Ryan got up that day, things would be different. He would be standing at stud, um, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have resulted in the brilliant win for yourself. Um, On that day, first of all, you had the scare in the morning. Actually, if we just tell that story, because there's, there's thankfully, touch wood, there's a lot of new listeners to the podcast since you were last on in the UK, Ireland and, and worldwide. But the morning of the Derby, you almost didn't travel. No, I, 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 I travelled all right, Pete, but um, well, yeah, well, I got a phone call that said that when he'd arrived there, he'd pulled the shoe off and he was very, very lame. And and uh, but obviously, I, I jumped to the plane and went anyway because he, we, you know, there was there was he wasn't a non-runner at that stage, but it was looking unlikely. And uh, when I got to the racetrack, it was uh, looked more and more unlikely, and uh, to the point of where I, he was my only ride on the day, and I, I didn't even get changed until until about uh, I think it was midday or near about 12.30 when uh, the phone call came through to say that he had got the shoe back on and he was sound and uh, uh, so thankfully I got ready to ride him then and uh, he went out into the paddock and you know the, 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 the last instructions were which was from Dermot well the trainer but obviously uh, the the stewards were well aware of it as well was that if I felt that he wasn't right going to the start that he was to be withdrawn at the start so it was a pretty dramatic sort of a morning where uh, you know I, I actually thought right up until uh, you know 12 12.30 or that I was full sure that this was a waste of a day that uh, that uh, you know he wasn't going to run, but uh, thankfully that uh, an excellent job was done by Dermot staff and Farrier and got him uh, got the shoe back on. And as as they say, the rest is history. And he now does, of course, have his place at stud. But I, I do remember you telling me that you were almost kicking yourself that you could have been in Ireland riding horses there um, because it it was looking like that that Harzan wasn't going to line up. And it does sort of go to emphasise the fact that if we knew every single thing about a racehorse you'd never place a bet. Um, But you rode him with real confidence that day and he was by far the best horse in the race. No question, but he was a very, he was a hugely talented horse and, uh, you know, obviously with the scare of that morning and, you know, not really sure of what to expect when I got on him, but the minute I got on him, he he grew a hand as regards the, the 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 occasion and uh, he felt him uh, you know magnificent and as soon as I set off to go to the start uh, his action was a hundred percent and he, he moved brilliantly by so by, by halfway to the start I knew that he was going to run a huge race not knowing whether he was going to win or be good enough to win but uh, but I knew we were in business as regards uh, him being in top shape to run to run his race and uh, as and it just goes to show the fine margins between victory and disaster. You know, it was it could have been uh, it could have been the you know the 
to a point where he, he didn't even get to take to to take part, you know. So um yeah, it's a it's it's a, a roller coaster sort of uh, if 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 everybody knew exactly what goes on with horses on a daily basis and the hard work that's required by trainers and staff to keep them uh, healthy and sound and well to perform on the day, uh, I don't think the general public really have any, you know, great. Um, understanding of and that's why I think it's very important that everybody within the industry explains that and sells it to the general public that the care and the attention that goes into getting horses there on a day to perform at their best is a huge and intensive work because in Australia they've introduced the the policy of uh, using an MRI machine on horses. Now, if they were to use an MRI machine on you, they'd showcase quite a few injuries. If they used one on me, they'd just go, oh my God, uh, with the state of my back. But it's been it's been mentioned by a number of, of people how completely impractical it is to be using an MRI machine on racehorses because they're big, powerful animals. And just because they have... Uh, a, a scar from before or a, a tiny minute uh, injury from, from before that does not at all hinder them from being able to go and perform and much to Huey Morrison's uh, really I was going to use colourful language there but we'll, we'll, I'll choose not to because I'm in the presence of a gentleman um, but Huey Morrison was apoplectic uh, that his horse was withdrawn from the Melbourne Cup and that was effectively the end of Marmello's career Um and if they had done the same with the Australian horses, they probably wouldn't have had a runner in the Melbourne Cup at all. That technology for racehorses is not fully vetted and fully viable yet. Um, so it's quite a frustrating situation. And what is your what is your take on using that kind of tech? No, okay. I mean, if you want to go looking for a problem, that that's ideal. You know what I mean? Go. But any athlete, whether it be human or equine, if you pull them out of their bed or first thing in the morning and, and ask them to trot up uh, or run 100 yards, you're not going to perform or move at your most fluent, are you? You know, that, mm. that's just fact. And that, that's what they were doing was pulling horses out of stables first thing in the morning and asking them to trot them up. And uh, horses are athletes and there's wear and tear on humans as well as uh, as equine athletes. And, uh, you know, the, 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 that's just fact of life and uh, you know so the the, the, the the old story of warming up everyone has to warm up for to perform and uh, yes of course any horse that's lame I'd never uh, agree to horses running that are that are injured or have an issue and but you know there is a, a, a huge majority of horses that need to, plenty of time to warm up in the mornings to, to, to get uh, an, you know to 100% fluency to, to perform and uh, but that that's that's the, the, the individual tra- the horse the trainers heart the horses trainer knowing the individual and uh, and that's the art of training horses so um you know you can get too technical in looking and as i said i'm sure there was plenty of days that you x-rayed a lot of national hunt jockeys and and flat jockeys on a given day and if you did mri scans on the full body scans on them i'm sure you'd find little issues and and uh the hairline fractures and all sorts in them and, and they still go out and perform at their at their highest level so uh i thought it was very unfortunate what happened to Huey morrison in australia probably shouldn't have happened 
and uh, but there you go. But uh, I think it's the authorities bowing to uh, public pressure a little bit too, and uh, uh, it, uh, no, that's another whole topic anyway. Oh God, it is. Uh, we won't go down that route just just on this podcast. We won't. We'll try. Yeah. And, we'll try and keep ourselves sane, but. Even if you just were to equate it to the human level, seeing as that we use MRIs um, to be checked on, like Michael Owen gave that extraordinary interview for BT Sport, where he talked about how essentially since his injury at, was it Real Madrid, that he never really felt like he was the same player, but he still passed a medical at Newcastle. He passed a medical at Manchester United. He passed a medical at Stoke. He kept passing medicals, even though he himself knew I I cannot run at full pace to chase that ball down because if I do, my hamstring's going to snap. So yeah, but you have to ask yourself how much of that is mental rather than physical. That's a good point. That's a you very know, good point. I, I, and it's the same with horses, you know. So you know, if a horse is uh, mentally not a hundred percent confident in what they're doing, they they won't put the send, you know, push themselves to maximum anyway. Uh, and and I'm sure Michael would be the first to admit to that as well. That I I, I you know that there was a, a certain degree of that was mental as well. There may not have been an issue there at all, but and he but maybe he just felt mentally felt he couldn't run as quickly as as he did prior to the injury. But so you know there's for and against. There's a huge argument in all fronts. But again, that that just proves how to be at the highest level that, uh, again, whether it's human or equine, that you have to have everything intact as regards mentally and physically. We've talked about the mental aspect of things with racehorses in the past, but as a champion jockey and as a multiple Group 1 winning rider, have you been associated with a racehorse who just mentally, even though everything was done right to get the horse back to uh, get him get him or her fully back on track the mind just kept remembering the injury and just would not allow him or her to fully stride out ever again yes yes not any individual horse that i can pick you know a high profile horse that, that people would know or remember but uh but there's been numerous horses down through the years that um that had have had an injury and have made full recovery and come back and you know veterinary advice everybody and and their 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 well-being was there for everybody to see so i was everything was 100 percent, but they never got back to the level that they were at mm. uh, and i'm convinced that that was uh that that's a mental state you know that, that, that you know you've often heard that uh, you know or you know uh you know, people making remarks that, that uh, you know, he just he or she was just never as good as what they were before the injury. You know, but they're structurally a hundred percent. But that is when the mental side of it comes in, and that they're afraid to push themselves to maximum and uh, to to obviously to to prove them to 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 see them at their best. And uh, and when you don't push yourself to the limit uh, you don't show your best and that has happened on, on numerous occasions with horses that, that I've been associated with but uh, that's just a fact of life that, that, that you know and as I said it happens with humans as well It makes you appreciate equine talent and resources an awful lot more though doesn't it that they feel that too Oh yeah no question but again it's, it's, you know not Risking the the the, the 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 to be sound like a horse whisper or something like that, which is totally not. But uh, but you know, they, we don't give them enough credit for how how intelligent and clever that that, that they are. 
Well, I can tell you that my, uh, my, my female cat is able to open the living room door despite it being locked. And the tomcat has learned how to do it from watching her. So they're, yeah. they're probably smarter than me. Um, there you go. Animals are, are remarkable. Um, just going back to, to the Derby in Harzan, given that he's a first season sire, the Derby is, is the race really, isn't it? It's the race that breeders want to win, but it's obviously the race that jockeys want to win. What did it mean to you to succeed in the Derby? Oh, look, as I said, I've said it numerous times, Emmett, now, you know, it was my best day in racing. Um, it was the, the one and only race that when it happened, you, st- you actually still can't believe that it happened. And, uh, you know, and that that's where how iconic the race is. And uh, it was... Uh, it, and as I said, I, I, it came along at the right time in my my career where I really appreciated it, you know, fully. And uh, it, it was, um, you know, the old saying it was a childhood dream come true, and it, it genuinely was because when when you start out to be a flat jockey and you want to try and you know make a career of it and uh, watching all the ra- all the big races, but the biggest race was the Epsom Derby, and uh, to to uh, to think back to when you were a child watching the, those brilliant races and great horses and jockeys riding in it, uh, to think that you you got there and, and won it on, on one occasion was uh, was something that uh, will live with me forever. It was just a, a brilliant, brilliant day. And to then complete the double at the Curra, given that the Curra is such a special place for you, so you're doing it for uh, for your yeah, boss, exactly. Dermot, but but also for, you know, it was a new owner at the time for you, really, but obviously a very established owner and, and an absolute legend of the game, the Aga Khan. That must have been very special too. Oh, yeah, it was great. And, uh, you know, and obviously then to come back when, you know, he was a very sharp price favourite and everyone expected him to win and then for him to win, uh, uh, you know, on, on your home home track and uh, in front of the, your home crowd was uh, was brilliant and um, yeah and no, all look he was a, he was a great horse and gave us some brilliant days and uh, yeah, yeah it was uh, he, it was they were very very special days for, for no doubt his stallion fee started out at, at fifteen thousand it's dropped now to eight thousand but that point that you make about the emphasis being on speed and how that's why maybe high chaparral wasn't as popular in, in stud at at stud in uh, first time around and then started to once the horses emerged like your horse free eagle and so you think and a number of other high profile horses the people started to cotton on and go oh he's value let's use him um there does just seem to be a bias against middle distance horses but i'm i'm imagining that you're very excited to see what his progeny can do this season Oh, of course, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing and you know, I, 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 I've no doubt that with the, the number of mares that he's had is going to be difficult, there's no question, but, uh, you know, hopefully that uh, he will, and I'm sure he will put that uh, bit of brilliance and, uh, and you know, great mental strength and, uh, and physical uh, Stroke, you know, he was a, you know, he was a great physical himself and very, very correct, and and I think he's passing that on to his progeny. So, uh, with a bit of luck, hopefully he'll go and and get a good start. It's uh, 
vitally important for any of those horses to get a good start and uh, so you'd be hoping that that would be the case for him and and then you know he can build up a better book of mares as, as the uh, you know after the, after his first season that uh, he gets an opportunity but uh, unfortunately it is a little bit of an uphill struggle for the likes of him because as I said uh, he wouldn't have got the best book of mares but um, but uh, hopefully he, he you know he can pass on some of that brilliance that he had as a racehorse to his progeny and uh, if he gets a good start and has a good first season that he'll be uh, repaid with a better book of mares going forward Our friends in France changed the distance of the French Derby um, well over 10 years ago now I remember Hurricane Run being beaten in the race over 10 furlongs uh, Shamadal managing to get the job done Shamadal wouldn't have run in a derby over a mile four in a million in a million years but that race then played into his hands over 10 furlongs they took that decision there's never been any any kind of a hint that that would be done at, at Epsom or indeed at the Curra either but that was almost a sign of the times that they were trying to move with, with the fashion move with the times and the the fact that you're talking about Shalah being such a, a popular stallion and the word is out that he's the one whose progeny we should be keeping an eye out for which is very very valuable watch out for his runners on attheraces.com everybody um, that's great insight from Pat but you were also saying that you think that may now be coming around. There are there are trends and uh, things come in vogue. Do you think that stairs are starting to come back in vogue now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, and there's a very very good um, very good program for stairs, and obviously now you see the Ebor over a million pounds in in prize money, and uh, you know so there's a there's a big incentive now again to have middle distance horses and uh, and and you know obviously the market is huge for them back down to Australia to to for the stay in races down there there's a huge market if, if good enough to to you know to be sold down there so I think uh, I think breeders and consigners and uh, and and bloodstock agents are coming back and owners obviously are coming back around to you know at the end of the day they're the classic horses you know classic distances and uh, and you can see how many times over the years we've had horses that were good enough to to win a guineas and go on and win a derby and you know move up and down and trip so um you know, I, I, it's vitally important to keep the the. I think the middle distance horses prove a lot of things that they're they've got stamina, speed, um, and are able to you know deal with the conjures of Epsom and all sorts of different uh, the different things that challenges that are posed to them. And I think that's what you know strengthens the breed as opposed to uh, a, a very very sharp five furlong. Uh, you know, one-minute horses, and uh, you know, well, they have their importance in in the industry as well, of course, and on the and on the breed. But uh, I think the the point that is lost in a lot of middle-distance horses is that you know you don't you don't win derbies being a slow horse. That you you have to possess, uh, you know, and they have all that balance of speed and stamina. And uh, you know, I think people are beginning to come back around to thinking that uh, you know that they are the the better horse to have and there's obviously more longevity in them as well it does always strike me as being slightly odd that we we get very excited or at least the industry gets very excited about fast horses uh, and obviously a horse like Star Spangled Banner has proven himself to be a fantastic stallion but the most prestigious races are the Ark the Derby the Irish Champion Stakes you have to stay to go and win those races you have to have stamina so 
that would explain then why your theory about stairs coming back in vogue is, is such a thing. And also, I, I suggest that horses like Yates and Stradivarius have been huge advertisements for the staying division as well. Yeah, but all you have to do is look back on in, in the in recent years as to you know the household names that uh, that you know the general public will know uh, are all middle distance horses. You know, enable. Um, you know, she, she she even back for like Galileo was a mile and a quarter, mile and a half horse. Um, you know, as you say, Stradivarius, uh, Cracksman, all, all those horses were are are, um, are all, you know all middle distance horses, and uh, they're the horses that leave the impression on people uh, as a sporting fan as well as as everything else. So um, you know, they they they're not called classics for no reason. The the those uh, the derbies and guineas and uh, and ledgers. So. Um, they're they're the classic races and and as I said that they are the to me they are the the ultimate and uh, uh, if you can get a horse that that's good enough to to be able to win run and win at that level uh, they're the horses that you need to be breeding from going forward but that said you know a, a, a happy medium is is very important because uh, you need obviously to enhance the the breed with speed and. Uh, I think there was just a little bit too much emphasis on that for, for a period, but uh, I think it's sort of balancing out now where he can get that happy medium of, of balance of speed and stamina. We mentioned Sharmadal, Giants Causeway's best son. He was a brilliant juvenile, but an even better eight furlong, ten furlong horse as a, as a three-year-old, agonizingly defeated in that memorable Breeders' Cup Classic. His, uh, Sharmadal's best son now looks to be Pinatubu, and he had his most famous win on what was essentially your day at the Curra on Irish Irish St. Ledger Day, but part of the Irish Champions Weekend and uh, all of the, the good and the great were out to support you on that day. Being in the stands was a bit surreal watching Pinatubu. Uh, it was, I don't want to put him in the same breath as Frankel, but the only way I can describe it is like Frankel's 2000 guineas because with two furlongs to go, the entire stand erupts into applause. He had that race wrapped up so quickly and so early. He looks really, really special. To your eye, does he look like a horse being a, a Shamadal out of a Dalakani mare that can thrive as a three-year-old or is it possible that he was just a freak and very precocious but there you go. Like uh, first of all, um, you know, just go on his pedigree. He's by a great sire. Shamadal is a brilliant sire, and obviously a little bit of influence on speed comes there from him. But he's over Dalakani mare, which mm. is obviously all mile and a half. So you know that there, there's the balance of of speed and stamina coming together to 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 create brilliance, and uh, and that's what he is. He's brilliant. I don't think I've seen a a, a better two year old performance than than. Than, than that day at the Curra. So he is he is by far the best two-year-old uh, of last year, no question, and probably one of the best two-year-olds uh, in recent history. But, um, you know, people say, will he improve or, or, or will he train on? Uh, me personally, I don't think he has to train on if he has retained the same ability as to what he had last year and can hold that going forward. Uh, they, everyone has to catch up to him. Um, so I was looking really looking forward to seeing him run at uh, at Newmarket uh, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But obviously that's all put on hold for the time being. But uh, he, he's hugely exciting, and uh, as I said, it's a performance of from a two-year-old that uh, was probably the best performance of a two-year-old that I have seen in general. As in in your yes. racing, wow! Yes, that is some yeah. statement. 
but I, I, I thought it was a, a huge performance on the day. And uh, as you said, and rightly, as you were lucky enough to be there to witness it. And, you know, it's a long, long, long time since I've heard or seen uh, a crowd erupt and pr- applaud a two-year-old from a furlong ball to the line. Uh, that That's so easily, you know, as you said, uh, it was very evident that, 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 that what the result was going to be from that far out. So, um, uh He's not the biggest horse in the world. He's a, and but what I love about him is that uh, what what they call and he seems to be a bit of a sleeper. That he's uh, he's not very explosive at home in the mornings. And uh, I love that in a horse. I love horse that just conserve all that energy for race day. And um, and and uh, you know, as I said. Uh, we're really looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. And uh, as I said, it's uh, it's disappointing that we're not going to see him uh, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, when he does come out and the, hopefully when the Guineas is run, that uh, he, he will still be the favourite and the one that they all have to improve to catch. Yeah, he's £10 clear of everything else. Yeah. So as you say, and the 2000 Guineas, I said this to Barry Faulkner the other day as well on the Final Forum podcast on our, on our flat preview discussion. Um, the, the 2000 Guineas is almost, is very different to the 1000 Guineas in that it's almost the last two-year-old race. And, and that seems to be an old saying that goes back quite a way, but there can be wisdom in the old sayings. And it does often prove to be true that the horse who was the best juvenile can come out and win the 2000 guineas but then as the season progresses other horses can catch up to them but he just looks and and look we were surprised a little bit last year so we can't get too carried away by too darn hot but he does look miles ahead of everything else he's definitely the most exciting three-year-old to look forward to no question as i said i think he's rated 130 or 31 or something it's a huge rating for for any two-year-old and uh you know, as I said, uh, yeah, you know, that is an old saying that, uh, that, you know, it's the last two-year-old race of the year. But obviously that's not going to apply this year as the as the season goes on without racing. But, um, yeah, you know, th- th- there's no question that there's huge brilliance there. And uh, in my eye, he doesn't have to improve a whole lot uh, to if he maintains that, that rating and that ability that, as I said, uh, there's a huge bridge for for on uh, while while other horses do improve a lot uh, as the year goes on. Uh, as you said, the nearest to him is ten pounds behind him, so that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, improvement to 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 make uh, to to uh, catch up on him. So um, I look, I mean, it's it's not an exact science, and I'm sure there's a lot of horses there that are going to come out and and improve and and rival him, and and that's what you want, but. Uh, as I said, right now, if we could have a pick of them, you'd be going with Pinatuba. Oh, I'd take him all day long. Um, I'm sure that Aiden will be trying to carp upon the race and he has got the best record. He's the winning most trainer in the race's history, which is quite some record to have given his age. Um, but he threw an awful lot of Pinatuba last year and couldn't quite manage to, to rein him in. Uh, Pinatuba is another example of a horse who started his career on the all-weather at Wolverhampton and has developed into being European champion juvenile and uh, is almost certainly going to be a classic winner. Could he win a derby as well, do you think? No, I couldn't see him getting a mile and a half. 
So uh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Even despite uh, obviously being over Delacani Mare, but he's he's got a huge amount of pace and and uh, he doesn't look like a mile and a half horse. You know, in, in stature as well, he's he he looks to be a miler and and uh, you know I'd, I'd say he's hopefully he can show that great brilliance that he has. Go you know over a mile and uh, I'm sure Godolph will be quite happy to try and pursue that 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 route with him and uh, and try and make him champion miler. But you know I'm sure he go a mile and a quarter. But uh, it's just from what I've seen, it be he, he seems to have too much pace and uh, it'll be uh, a you know a huge ask of him to go a mile and a half. I think. Take that, Barry Faulkner. He's thinking he can do the double, but the great Pat Smullen says no. In terms of the Derby itself, so who would you be currently looking at for that race? Who are you most excited about for the the big classic? Nah, it's very difficult to know. You know, I'm, I'm sure Aiden's horse, a lot of Aiden's horses are going to improve as the year goes on. And, uh, you know, obviously they are classic bred horses that are going to improve. And we've seen year on year how Aiden's horses improve from from two to three and even 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 if they get beat as, as two-year-olds or as three-year-olds in the early part of their year, uh, they can end up uh, putting that well behind them and, and improve out of all recognition. So it's very hard to pinpoint any horse just now what would they just say oh that's a uh, a real derby horse but uh, i'm sure uh, it's housed in ballydale anyway that's for sure yeah <laughs> i suspect you're right um mogul i think will be quite interesting having gone to newcastle on the all-weather and and run he was also he talked about the other day he didn't really perform that day but there seems to be a he did drift but there seems to be an awful lot of confidence in him so we'll we'll see how he manages to progress yeah uh anything else that you're particularly looking forward to seeing this season in terms of the Colts or the Phillies uh look obviously um there's plenty of horses there that that we'll be uh looking for but on a on a personal level um the filly of the Dermot Wells, it's owned by Mike Lair. Amma Grace is a filly that won her maiden in Leperstone. Uh, she's got a huge pedigree by Galileo, polished gem, uh, leaving her a half half sister to uh, Free Eagle and uh, uh, and a full sister to um, to to uh, some some re- really good horses uh, of of. Uh, a search for a song to her name just didn't come to me there for a second <laughs> who won the ledger obviously last year so she's got a hu- huge pedigree and uh, I was very impressed with her when she won in Leopardstown and uh, she's a filly that I'd be really looking forward to going forward uh, th- this year and uh, you know hopefully she can be a cut above average uh, uh, with the pedigree that she's got and, and the ability that she has shown so far So as a sister to search for song another horse who won on that big day of yours uh, give us that name again Pat Amma Grace. Amma Grace goes into the At The Races tracker as a horse to watch. Um, two things to, to ask you about. So before we wrap up, um, one of them is, and they're both actually trips down memory lane. That day at the Curra, there were thousands of people there. And I tried to get in with my press pass into the parade ring. I spent the day in either the bar, I must say, drinking coffee uh, with my good friend, Jim Delaney and and in the stand watching the races but I I wanted to get into the enclosure um, to shake your hand there wasn't a hope in hell of it the, the it was like 15 rows back uh, people just crowding up uh, to see you and to see the likes of Ruby Walsh and Tony McCoy and Johnny Murta uh, and all the greats who came out to to support you that 
must have been an incredibly special day for you and your family. It was a hugely special day and, uh, you know, to set out what we tried to set out to do, which was to uh, raise awareness uh, of pancreatic cancer and obviously to try and generate some funds for, for it as well. To, for it to end up, you know, and turn out the way it did was sure it was just totally beyond our wildest dreams. And uh, while it was a huge benefit to the to the charity and to the to to um, Cancer Trials Ireland, which was brilliant. But just uh, I think I you know it was I think racing was seen at its best on that day. That um, you know it just goes to, it just showed uh, the the goodwill amongst the the whole industry coming together. Uh, to try and support something that was obviously close to my heart, and uh, uh, and you know, the, the, I, I, the just overwhelming goodwill from people uh, really, really struck me, and uh, and obviously my family, and uh, you know, it was just a, a hugely special day, and then to obviously get out the the riders that rode in the race was. Uh, was um, a huge spectacle for the general public, and uh, and it was just one of those amazing days that everybody bought into it. and And I must say that it would never have happened without the help of uh, HRI, the, you know, Brian Kavna and all his team, and John Osborne and and uh, Barbara White, just to mention a few names, that put a huge amount of work into it and and helped us to get it up to uh, and to be such a hugely successful day and. Uh, you know, as I said, everyone just bought into it, and uh, it was one of those one-off days that um, that will live long in the memory. I think of of uh, of me, for me anyway, but I think for everybody as well, connected to racing, and uh, and I think everybody was a winner. The the the, the charity and I think Irish racing were were uh, were you know huge winners on the day. And the Curra had come in for a lot of criticism prior to that. I remember being over in Parry Longchamp and the uh, the managing directors of that course were bringing us around and they were, Derek McGrath had just been, just announced that he was stepping down and it was said to them and uh, they said, oh, well, we might be next if this uh, if this arc doesn't go well. The arc did go well, um, but Pat Keo stepped in and it was, it was a brilliant advertisement for the Curra as well that we got to see it at its absolute best and uh, the fantastic spectacle that it is and what it can represent as HQ. But for a man like Ruby Walsh to have won the Irish Gold Cup on the Punchestown Gold Cup on Kemboy and say, I'm never riding a racehorse again and to go back onto the race course to compete and almost win against his old friend, Tony McCoy. And to do that for you, I think is a measure of the man, but the thousands of fans who turned up um, not just for the day, but to support you as well, which was evident by the fact that they were all trying to to get in to shake your hand, all trying to get in to to cheer you on. It was it was really a, a memorable day, and and I, I presume made all the better by the fact that your boss then went on and, and won the Saint Ledger. Oh yeah, that was that, obviously that that just capped it off, and uh, uh, and you know I'm being owned and bred by Mike Stud, who have been huge supporters of mine throughout my whole career but uh, but even more so in recent uh, months and years uh, it, you know I the, the support and and uh, that I've got from Eva Hafner who is the owner of my Stud is uh, you know she has become a, a very close friend as well now and um, you know I, I'll never be able to thank her for for uh, or repay her for all the help and support that she has given me on a personal and uh, uh, level and and obviously in in, in the 
you know the the charity and and everything and uh, so it was uh, it was just fitting that they were to win the the ledger on the day that that's where that it was so it just top, topped off a, a hugely uh, emotional day for us and uh, as i said it was it was great that that what we set out to try and achieve we achieved and it was a it was successful and uh, but it's not something that i'd be want to try and uh, repeat again in the future it was there was a uh, i don't think people realized the amount of work that that went oh. in to it and and as i said not not on my part but uh, but there was so many people involved that it, it took uh, a mountain amount of work to to make it happen and and to uh to, to, to pull it off and as I said it was a uh, most certainly a one-off uh, occasion I can only imagine the amount of logistics that goes into making an event like that happen and uh, well, I got you huge help because it was the first time ever that there was a nine race car run in in Ireland and you know obviously that had to be cleared and you know the turf club had to had to allow that and uh, so there was you know there was various little things that had to be changed to allow this happen and you know thankfully the car allowed us to uh, to to be run straight after the 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 ledger which meant it was on terrestrial TV as well and uh, you know because usually the charity races are left till after the last race and and probably rightly so but uh, but on this this occasion, I think it was more than just a charity race. It was uh, it was a huge spectacle in its own right, and uh, you know for for that to, for for the authorities to allow that all happen, there was rules that had to be changed and and various different things that had to be moved around, and uh, you know that that that's do people doing those things made it uh, made it happen and made it so successful and uh, and as I said I'm hugely grateful to them all for, 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 for doing that and allowing it happen well again that's a measure of you a measure of the man and um, I don't think I don't think there'll ever be a charity flat race like that run ever again that caliber of talent that those amount of superstars and uh, and for such a good cause as well and, and well, well I can well I can assure you it won't be run by Pat Smullen anyway that's because <laughs> <laughs> it was most certainly a one off <laughs> you've had enough now you've, yeah. you've done your bit Pat you don't need to yeah, do yeah, it again exactly and, and lots of raise for charity and lots of awareness raised for it as well um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about before we sign off is Irish Ledger Day itself is, is a very special day for you because Vinnie Rowe was a real legend and a proper hero um and the two of you had a a superb dynamic it's come to my attention lately that the very famous film director jim sheridan now listens to the final forum podcast so hello jim and uh thank you for tuning in um obviously he was synonymous with this horse um as uh, as the owner of him uh he did talk about on the late late show having an each way bet on him in the Melbourne Cup. If he'd done it in Ireland, he'd have got the four places, but he did it in Australia, so he only got the three. Uh, and so it didn't quite come to plan for him. But to compete in five Irish St. Ledgers and to win four is one hell of a record. He must have a special place in your heart. Ah, uh, look, he, he, he'll always be uh, probably the most special horse for me and uh, in that... For, for various different reasons obviously to do what he did in Ireland uh, winning the the ledger on four occasions and you know he then went over and won the pre-Royal Oak in, in France in Longchamp and then uh, obviously he went very close to winning the Nascot Gold Cup and 
he came close to winning the Melbourne Cup and uh, you know he's a, he was a huge horse for me and he was a horse that came along at a very very important time of my my career and my, my, my time in the job with Dermot uh, you know it was uh, at a time when I was in desperate need of a good horse to come along just to to prove to, that I was able to compete at the, at the highest level and, and do the job for uh, for Dermot and uh, and his owners and uh, Vinnie Rowe came along and and I mean uh, what 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 he had what he didn't do for me was uh, I you know was wouldn't speak about it was just unbelievable uh, his his uh, his contribution if you want a better word to my career and uh, and obviously it was uh, you know more of brought more uh, interest to him on a personal level being being owned by who owned him and uh, and Jim was a great supporter and uh, you know I think he got himself and his wife got huge enjoyment and all of his family from Vinnie Rowe and uh, he was just just a special horse to everybody and and as I said uh, a horse like him don't come along too often Those trips to Melbourne like in hindsight you were only just beaten by Mackay Badiva who would go on to become a Melbourne Cup great. Um, and, and there was an awful lot of emotion attached to Media Puzzle's success. Obviously, I'm sure you were thrilled for your boss, but there was no way you were getting off Vinnie Rowe for Media Puzzle. But that success in itself was was brilliant for for the jockey because Damien Oliver had had uh, suffered a tragic loss. And, and so that ended up being an, an incredible win as well. But there was no way that you were getting off Vinnie Rowe to ride Media Puzzle. No. No, no. Look, there was, there was a couple of reasons why. As to obviously, I, you know, it, it just goes to shit. This is this proves the the handicap uh, um, system. You know, like the, the way it brings horses together. Vinnie Rowe was by far the most better superior horse to to of the two. You know, he was just a far better horse than Media Puzzle ever was. And uh, but obviously Media Puzzle got in off a of weight, which even if Vinnie Raw didn't run in the race, I would never have been able to do the weight. He just had two you know, I think he'd fifty two and a half kilos, which was, you know, eight four or eight five. So I, I, I would never have been able to do the weight on him anyway. So uh, so I, I would never have ridden him. But but uh, that that just proves the handicap scale, how it brings horses together and uh and it was uh, it was his day, and uh, and you know you, the, the the whole story behind the 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 thing was uh, sure you could you couldn't have scripted it, and um, and, and as I said, it, it was it was it was his day, and uh, and uh, while I was delighted for this for the sta- for the stable and for Dermot and and uh, all the owners, but obviously you know there's no question I'd be lying if I didn't say that I wasn't gutted that I was I didn't ride the Melbourne Cup winner myself, but. Uh, but you know it was a great day for the stable and uh, but Vinnie Raw ran a huge race and uh, just wasn't quite good enough to give that weight away to to Media Puzzle He would end his career by competing in the Melbourne Cup but before that uh, a year previous to that at the age of six he won the Irish St. Ledger beating the St. Ledger winner of the season before Brian Baru six years of age as a full horse that's some training performance. We saw it with um, Aidan O'Brien with, with Yates, but how difficult is it to keep a, a full horse in staying company, active and interested in the game and winning at Group 1 level? Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's huge, huge uh, 
huge um, advertisement for Dermot Wells' uh, ability to train racehorses. I mean, and obviously Aiden with the likes of Yates as well, because you know a full horse is very you know their minds become very active and uh, you know on, on minds on other things. And uh, but he, uh, he 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 was a pretty straightforward horse in that way that he he you know he had great enthusiasm for for the game and uh, you know I think he, even till the up until his last day he ran 100% genuine despite him wearing blinkers uh, he only wore them to really try and sharpen him up you know but he was a hugely generous horse in in, in races and gave you everything and um, you know but he he, he uh, you know it just proves the ability of uh, of the trainer that, that he is to be able to keep those horses sweet and competing at the highest level for for that amount of years and, and keep coming back and performing at the highest level the right horse at the right time for you, but I'm sure you couldn't have imagined that the partnership would be as long as it was, that you had that longevity because in flat racing, it is a business. The stud value does come into things and horses go to stud. So for, for him to be a superstar for you at the right time, you must have been ecstatic that you managed to to get him back in training and to keep that partnership going year after year after year and that it was resulting in four Irish St. Ledger's. No, oh, yeah, no, it was great, and uh, as I said, uh, but him being owned by by who he was owned by, you know, in gym, he was uh, more interested in having a good racehorse than than him being rushed off to stud, and uh, that that was brilliant because it gave us all the opportunity to enjoy him for as long as we did. And an absolute legend of a director as well, for that matter, Jim Sheridan, um, who I've recently learned listens to the Final Furlong podcast. You never know who's listening. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you again, Pat. You are a, a gentleman and one of the finest horsemen this country has ever produced. But more importantly, you're one of the best guests that we've ever had on the show. And it's always a pleasure to talk racing with you. Um, I hope that you and Francis and the family are well and uh, please God this lockdown will end sooner rather than later and we won't be going stir crazy but I'm glad you've got the farm I'm glad you can be out and about and uh, most importantly of all stay safe my friend thanks and you too Emma thank you very much Pat Smullen on the Final Furlong Podcast and stay safe you as well thanks so much for listening uh, if you haven't already the podcast with Hector Hanging with Hector is available for you now on all podca- podcast apps uh, also our Cheltenham 2021 preview yes we did that uh, that's available for you to listen to now and our look ahead to the flat season and when it will all begin uh, the logistics of it and horses to follow Sarah Lynham Barry Faulkner Jess Stafford taking us through it that's available for you to listen to now as well on all podcast apps and then at the races as well i hope you enjoyed this edition of the show if you did a five-star rating on apple podcasts would be fantastic and let us know on social media as well we'll chat to you soon stay safe god bless will it happen or won't it happen you can bet on it with the betfair exchange proud sponsors of the final furlong podcast have you downloaded the free at the races app yet with easy to use race cards and form Expert daily tips plus video replays and in-app betting is the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.